Hi, this is Bev Bevan. My privilege to be on Rick Flynn's 100th uh, broadcast, and we'll be talking about my career from way back with Danny Lane and the move through ELO and Black Sabbath and my band Quill, talking about my long, long life in music. And now, let's get on with the show. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome on into this milestone show that I am delighted to be here with everyone throughout the world, including not only in the United States, but our second largest market that listens to this show in the UK, our third market in Germany, all over the world. We committed initially to 100 episodes of this show, and this is our 100th show. I am just delighted to celebrate this milestone with one of the giants of the rock and roll industry, a gentleman I have admired ever since we both played Slingerland Drums together with the Slingerland Mm -hmm. Drum Company, which I still have the same set today, Bev, and this is Bev Bevan, everyone. He is the founder, the drummer of ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra. Bev, your drums were double bass white from Slingerland. Mine was the identical kit but double bass chrome if you remember that chrome over maple does that ring a bell yeah indeed um, and by the way before we go any further can, you know many congratulations on your 100th show that's a real milestone well done and yes Slingland sadly no longer exists but i still got my black um Slingland kit that i used with elo in 19 19- 78, and then I've got a white, uh, white pearl Slingerland kit that I had made, that was custom made for me, and I think it was 98 when I was touring with ELO Part 2, so I've still got my Slingerland kit too. Right, now I don't know if you're aware of this, Bev, but Don, the guy who owns DW, Drum Workshop Drums, he has yeah. always been a Slingerland fan, and he bought the name from Gibson Guitars that had it for years, and now he owns it, and there are, last I heard, he wants to release the line again. Do you have any comments on that? Well, good. I hope he does. I mean, it was, you know, such a classic kit. I've just been sponsored recently. Um, I've, I've just done a, a big British tour called Stand Up and Rock by Natal Drums, and they made me a lovely kit as well, actually. So I, um, and I've got a, I've still got my Signia kit, Premier Signia kit from the 80s when I was with Black Sabbath. So I, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm inundated with drum kits at the moment. Yeah. Right. I'm sure. I am sure. Wow. Part of your history has not only been playing Slingerland drums, but you got started, and you're going to have to excuse me, Bev, because you know as well as I know that so much of your career has been with a group called The Move. 
M-O-V-E, the move. However, those of us in the USA, we don't know the move. You were great in England and popular in England, and you even had, or did you, you released something with them, I recall, but they only achieved popularity in England. Tell me about the move without getting into it too deeply, because here in the USA, none of us know much about the move. I think you only played here once for like two or three weeks. Explain what the move is to the people who may not know. Yeah, the move uh, came to, we formed in, in 1966, uh, Roy Wood, Carl Wayne, uh, Ace Keffer, Trevor Burton, myself. And um, um, we became very, very popular. In, in 1967, we had our first hit single in Europe, really, in England and, and Europe. By 1972, we'd, ha- we'd had 10 big hit records, but we never, the only, the only song that was a very minor hit in the USA was a song called Do Ya by The Move. Jeff Lynne song. But here in the UK, we were pretty massive, really, and he had one hit after another, all written by Roy Wood, who's, um, he was kind of the first genius I think I worked with. Although I did, there was a band before the move called Denny Lane and the Diplomat. And of course, Denny Lane went on to form the Moody Blues and he joined McCartney and Wings. So he was a very talented guy that I worked with. But then when, when the Diplomat split up, that's when I uh, helped form the move. Indeed. Now, those that will remember the song, do ya? I would like to ask Bev, ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, did a song called Do Ya. Is that the same song that the move did, or is that totally different? No, no, it, it is the same song, Jeff Lynne's song. I actually prefer the move version, personally. So if you can check that out, you might be pleasantly surprised. Do you think that might be on YouTube, or don't you know? I, guess, I think it would be, yeah. All righty. I'm pretty sure it would, yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. like to hear that. Yeah. Do Ya was a very good record, like just about everyone that you had with ELO. And we're going to get into ELO, but you mentioned Denny Lane. And Denny Lane, of course, played with the Moody Blues. I don't think there's any question about that. But yet he also joined, along with Hamish Stewart from the Average White Band, The uh, he was the original party back when Linda McCartney was alive, and Paul, and he joined Wings. Denny Lane, (laughs) Hamie Stewart, Linda Paul, and I forget who else was in the band, but yes, Denny had a pretty decent career for himself, did he not? He did, yeah. I I still keep in touch with him. Uh, He now now lives in Florida, and since he's doing fine. So when I met him, I'd just left school. He was probably, I think he was the most confident young musician I ever met. And he was he was only he was the same age as me. We were, we were about seventeen years old at the time. He was he he was so sure that he was going to be a, a rock and roll star, and he, he dragged me along with him. And I was delighted that he did because he uh, he was my first big band. We we opened for the Beatles. We opened for the Rolling Stones. We opened for Little Stevie Wonder. This is back in nineteen sixty three, sixty four. They were good times. Oh, absolutely! And you did that, Bev, with an act called Denny Lane and the Diplomats. Would that be right? Mm-hmm. 
That's right, yeah. We all had peroxide blonde hair. <laughs> uh, we were very gimmicky, but it was a good little band. It really was. And we we're unlucky not to make it because we got signed to Pie Records, a guy called Tony Hatch. But he got another band from Liverpool, and he, he was told by Pie Records, you, you, you've got these two bands, but you can only sign one. And he signed the band from Liverpool, who turned out to be The Searchers. So it wasn't a bad choice, really. And The Searchers did a big hit record called Needles and Pins. Indeed. Yes. They had, they had a lot of hits. Oh, yes. A lot of hits, especially here in Great Britain, they had massive hits. Yeah, yeah. Right. Needles and Pins was a hit in the USA, Bev. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jackie DeShannon, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the searchers toured behind that over here, if I'm not mistaken. During the I invasion, think, yeah, the they came over on the vi- yeah. British invasion. Absolutely. I think and I think next to the Beatles, they, you know, they were they were they were very popular indeed, yeah. So with Denny Lane, where you were the drummer, Denny Lane and the diplomats, you were the drummer, you opened for the the Beatles and you opened for the Rolling Stones. Now, this is at the time when the Beatles had records out and Brian Epstein was still managing them. Or was this the Beatles that were still uh, trying to get a contract? Oh, no, they, uh, it was Beatlemania time. We only opened for them once at a, at a place uh, in the Midlands in England uh, called the Old Hill Plaza. And it was just mayhem. I mean, they just, the girls were screaming the place down. They, they, I think they'd had, they had um, Love Me Do. They had Please Please Me. I think they just released She Loves You. Uh, they're about to release From Me to You. So, you know, they were, they were massive. They were well on. They were stars at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And they were such nice guys. You know, they were, we were chatting to them. They, they, I think they were still, they couldn't believe that, that you know, that they, how big they, they'd become. You know, but they were very down to earth and, uh, and very friendly guys to talk to. Right. Now, I heard Ringo say to a reporter, he said that he was walking down the street with Brian Epstein in London, I believe it was, and he looked in the window of the music store and he saw that Ludwig kit of drums in the black oyster finish that he became world Mm -hmm. famous for, and he said to Brian, oh, I would like that one, and they went in there and Brian bought that kit and they said, all right, look, we'll get this Ludwig decal off of here and we'll have this ready for you in a couple days. And Ringo said, oh, no, 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 leave it on, leave it on. He said he wanted (laughs) to do everything American. He admired the American instruments and the American this and that, and he told them, leave that Ludwig decal up on top of my bass drum head. Do you recall hearing anything about that? Well, I, 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 what I've heard lately is that that, that very same drum kit, and I think it's, it's, it's just been sold for something like over $2 million. So, I mean, that's extraordinary. I, I had, I bought, I bought very, I bought the same kit. Um, I, I used a Ludwig kit when I was with uh, Danny Lane, and we were massive Beagle fans. You know, we, we, we played all, just about every song on their first album. So um, the Beagles are such a huge, huge influence. Yeah, indeed. Right. And I heard you say that Ringo was an influential part of the band and the Beatles would not have sounded the same without him. 
absolutely right. I mean, I think he's a little, maybe underrated a bit. I don't know, but he's just, he works so perfectly. There were a lot of, a lot of better drummers technically than, than Ringo at that time. But, you know, someone like Bobby Elliott had the Hollies, you know, some like people like him, but they wouldn't have worked with the Beatles. He had that lovely, such a solid backbeat. And, and he, he could swing as well, which not not all rock drummers can. But things like Ticket to Ride, uh, you know, it's, it's so drum influenced. He, he inspires records like that. You heard him say, Bev, that part of the sound that he had was being left-handed, but playing a kit yeah. of drums that was set up for a right-hander. And most left-handers, let's take, for example, Ian Pace. I'm sure you probably know him. Ian pace I, do. I I figured that I did not know it but it certainly doesn't surprise me for those at home that don't recognize the name Ian pace is another powerhouse drummer he played for years with the group deep purple and he's played as a left-handed drummer a kit of drums Bev that was set up for a left-handed drummer it was backwards, and Ringo played yeah. a right-handed kit. And he said being left-handed and playing a right-handed kit means that he started the fills and the uh, the rolls and everything he did there. He started it technically differently than a real right-hander would, and he attributed that to the uniqueness of his sound. Do you have any comments on that, being the expert drummer that you are? Well, I, I would really struggle to do what Ringo did. Um, they said know, it uh, was hard to copy. It was hard to copy. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Absolutely, yeah. Charlie Watts was another one who, he was unique the way he played. He, 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 he Like when you, when you play eight with your right hand, he, he, he on the, say on the hi-hat, he picks his, his stick up on the on the eight. He, he never plays the eight. He plays that on, on the snare drum. So that's, I, again, I find that so weird to do that. And they called Charlie Watts a simple, a basic drummer. Yeah, again, but you listen, to, you listen to Honky Tonk Women or something, and um, Jumping Jack Flash or Painted um, Black, Satisfaction, Painted Black. That's you know, Charlie's so you know, some part of so much, uh, so so you know, so influential. Yeah, right. Now he came to Cincinnati, and they played the arena here with the Rolling Stones. I'm telling you, Bev, this is a true story. He needed a, he either needed or wanted a, a pair of shoes. He took off from the arena on foot by himself, and he walked <laughs> from the. I'm serious. He walked downtown. Yep. He walked down the streets, around the corner, to the shoe store. He bought the shoes. He walked back. He came into the arena by himself. Not a darn person in the world recognized him. He was able to lead. He was able to lead a normal life. Let McCartney try that. Yeah, no. Well, okay. I'll tell we, I worked. I worked with the Stones when I was with Denny Lane, and in the move, we uh, we opened uh, or shared the bill with, with with the Rolling Stones at the Paris Olympia, a, a big show. Charlie was such a such a sweetheart, you know, such a nice, easy, ordinary guy. 
and he didn't have he wasn't a rock and roll star charlie he was just a regular guy lovely man he was like a character actor in movies you know you have the the headliner the george clooney's who can't go anywhere without being mobbed you, you see but yet these character yeah. actors they they've got the makeup they've got beards that they don't have they're fake they've got all these costumes so when the movie is over and they take off the makeup and take off the 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 cosmetics and, and the wardrobe they can live a normal life bev nobody knows them they you could be at the grocery getting your grocery and they're lined up behind you putting their stuff on the conveyor belt there and you'd have no idea who they were yeah well that's good for them <laughs> right yeah. now we want to go bev to your amazing career because we mentioned the move and that's where it got started but i want to go back because unfortunately your father left the world and was called home when you were like 10 years old and then i guess yeah. it Right. That was early. And I'm very sorry to hear that, but that's sometimes what happens. And it's like what Billy Joel said. He said, only the good die young. So I know very little about your dad and probably the same with you. But the reason I bring that up, Bev, is because somewhere around junior high school, which would place you only a couple or a few years past the passing of your dad, you were in probably seventh, eighth grade, something like this, and your friends were forming bands. One of them, you said, yeah, yeah they were forming bands and they needed a drummer. And you said, oh, I, I yeah, I can play. But you didn't have any drums. <laughs> Is that what happened? You said, oh, yes, yes, I, I play the drums. And you had none. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, there were a bunch of mates at school. We're, we're all in pretty much the same class. And the, the one thing I didn't, I, we got, you know, they got a lead singer and they got a couple of guitarists and a bass player. They didn't have a drum. And I, and I just said, yeah, I'll play drums. And I've, I've never played drums in my life. And, um, but I just sort of knew knew that I, I was I would be able to do so, and I and I asked my mum. I said, I've, you know, "I want to play drum. I'll set uh, in a, in a school band. Can I have a, a, a drum kit? And there's one for sale. Uh, I've been into Birmingham, and there's a, 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 a kit called a Broadway Silver Sparkle drum kit, and it was thirty five pounds, about fifty dollars. That was a fortune. We're talking the late fifties here. And my mum immediately said yes, and I was going, "Wow!" And I went into town. And I brought back home this kid on the bus and um and i began to play and, and put the kit together and and we had a couple of rehearsals and and i, and I found that i was doing all right and, that, and it, was, it was only after a few weeks that my mom said and she could she could hear me playing with my little band and and she said well i'll tell you something now she said see your dad was a drummer and he's his name my dad's name was charles thomas bevan uh, but he, he was nicknamed bev bevan and he was the bev bevan dance trio and he, he played in sort of a uh, wartime years so that not only is that so obviously inherits his, 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 his talents as a drummer uh, and I, that's how I got my name as well that's, that's why I was named Bev and not Charles or something you know so it, it, it was nice for my mum to see and, and I wish very much that my dad could have seen me you know late in later years as a successful drummer but maybe maybe he can you know he's looking down I'm sure did you ever see 
your dad play the drums or no? No, no, I was far too young. Um, I never saw his, I never saw, ever even saw his drum kit. I, I, so I don't, I don't know. No. I'm just delighted to have you on, Bev, because there's so much about your career that is amazing. You were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which, as you know, is located in Cleveland. Ohio, unless they have another one over in England, which I'm unaware of. But Cleveland, Ohio is another city that has been important in your career because at the time you played there with Electric Light Orchestra, a group that you co-founded with Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood, you broke all records at the time you played there for the most money made during a live performance of 62,000 people at the Cleveland Stadium. I believe that was in 1978. Tell me about that. That has to go down in your mind as one of the highlights of your entire career. Absolutely, it does, yeah. I remember what it was a staggering amount of people. Uh, I think the most uh, we made... The- possibly with Toronto we might have played to more people we had a big show in LA but it wasn't to that many uh, and I remember and um, I recall that Meatloaf was on the bill as well and yeah he was a, that, that tour was uh, was was pretty staggering with the, the spaceship a lot of people remember that tour because because of the spaceship and it was and the out of the blue album a double album so and it was a big hit we, and we played loads and lots of tracks off it uh jeff lynn was coming into his own really he was just writing one great song after another uh, and uh, the band were good on stage and the audience reaction was 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 amazing as i remember and i would like to congratulate you on i don't know how to say this or how to call it, other than the fact that you remind me in a way with your your current attitude in life. I heard Sammy Hagar say that when he leaves this world, he does not want to have hate on his mind for anybody because, as you know, he had some disagreements with the Van Halens and so forth and so on, and you and Mr. Lynn, Jeff Lynn, who was a fabulous composer, you said, basically, you were willing not only to bury any hatchet that you had, but you would have liked to go on, gone out and played with him in ELO again. And I guess those days are not going to happen. Or What is your comment on that? Because it's a mature attitude that you had. And I'm delighted to hear that, that as you both are in the twilight, if you will, of your careers you can remain friends that's only a decent thing to do yeah absolutely i I, i'm great that i'm still in touch with denny lane i'm still good friends with roy wood Uh, i haven't spoken to jeff in a long time but i wish him well and i I, hopefully he'll do the same for me tony iomi from my black sabbath days he's probably my my best friend and these are I'm just I'm proud that I've worked with these people. You know, they're 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 important people in in the rock and roll industry. I mean, Tony in particular, he practically invented heavy metal music. So I've had a a, a long career, a very successful career, and still working and recording now with a, my a new band Quill. I'm just grateful <laughs> that I'm still around and still really, really enjoying playing. Right. I heard you refer to Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath as a genius. Indeed, yeah. He is. 
I mean, he, he's a, he basically, his guitar playing, that uh, he's well known for his, you know, the guitar riffs that he, he can just invent one great riff after another. But he's a, he's a beautiful guitar player as well, uh, left-handed, and, and with a unique style because he lost the tips of his fingers in, in a, uh, a factory accident when he was only about 17. And, he, and he, 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 got, he got through that, and he's the nicest man on earth. He really is. Jeff Lynn, genius or no? Oh, absolutely. Totally, yeah. I mean, what, what a you know. I saw him develop. I was there, um, you know, and he became more and more confident. Um, he, 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 you know, he, his songs got better and better, uh, and he became a. Actually, his voice got better and better too, and and he grew and grew as, as a producer. So yeah, uh, and and he went on to you know he's he just loved the Beatles and the fact that he went on you know to work with them uh, w- would have been absolutely a dream come true for him and, and the Traveling Wilburys you know what a great band they were oh absolutely boy it, it would be hard it would be hard to not score with that kind of talent there Bob Dylan that's right Tom Petty Jeff Lynne uh, Roy Orbison for heaven's sake they had them all and, and, and he. Told Told a reporter on American TV. I saw it. He saw. He told the reporter. I went up to George Harrison one day and I said, "You know these traveling Wilburys. We need to get in the studio and we need to to let's do that again. Let's make another album." And he said, "George just looked at him and smiled. Oh yes, yes, yeah." And it never happened. And you know what well, I'm thinking. He didn't mention this. I'm speculating. But I wonder if Harrison perhaps had the prognosis or diagnosis that he had. And he just knew in the back of his mind without admitting it that it was not going to happen. But he didn't want to burst Jeff's bubble, you see. Well, he's, 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 you know, that, that's, that's a sad story. I mean, Roy Orbison, you know, what a, what a voice. He's a totally unique voice. And, and he, he, re, you know, he, he was massive, massive in the late 50s, early 60s. But then he faded away. But then he came back with help from Jeff. And and the, and to be in the traveling Wilburys, and then and Tom Petty, what you know, for him to suddenly die like that as well, it's uh, it, it's a sad tale. Right, very very well, you know that's right. I've had Petty's drummer on here, Stephen Ferrone. You probably know him too. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah. he came from the Average White Band, and prior to that, he was with Brian Auger. And Brian yeah. Auger, back when um, the gal was there singing with him, uh, looked like yeah, Twiggy. Yeah, Julie Driscoll. Yes. yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the uh, Oblivion Express, I believe. It wasn't Brian Auger and the Trinity. It was before that. Brian Auger and Oblivion yeah. Express with Julie Driscoll. Boy, you got a mind like a steel trap, Bev. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh. Well, I do. I, I love my music. I do. Um, I do sit like, you know, album reviews for a newspaper here in, in England. So. I'm I'm good at the old stuff, but I'm <laughs> ask me new stuff and uh, I'm hopeless. But yeah, the fifties and sixties and seventies and into the eighties that that will do me. Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you what they you're familiar with Jay Leno. You know who that is. He replaced Johnny Carson. Yeah, yeah. On NBC, mm-hmm. he had the Tonight Show for years and number one rated in his time slot here in the evening. After Johnny Carson retired, he took it over and. And they put another host in there after him, which 
they lost 50% of the audience. And then they brought Leno back and he restored the audience again. But now he's doing uh, the car collecting. Oh my God, if you'd see the cars this guy has. They fill up an airline hangar, okay, in Los Angeles somewhere. He's on the airport and with a whole hangar full of these expensive cars. I'm telling you, he said, leaving television, Bev, the thing that he did not miss about it was he no longer has to worry about what rapper who is current has a new record and what the name of that rap record is. He said he doesn't miss that at all. Yeah, yeah, I'll go along with that. <laughs> so, yeah, the best music is not the music, unfortunately, I feel, Bev, that they're making today. Will you go along with me on that or no? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we just had we just had this massive Glastonbury festival here, um, and there's a lot of new acts on there. But the guy that totally stole the show was Paul McCartney. Oh my! You know, no one can close. Yeah, I have seen Paul McCartney live with his band. He was in Cincinnati. He played at the home of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah, and it was a spectacular show. No warm-up band, Beth. Only him and the band, and that was it. And it was just phenomenal. It was a a great, great show. I, I'm so proud that he has had his health. He's been able to move forward and and remain there at like 80. He just celebrated, I believe, either 80 or 81 years on his recent birthday a few weeks ago. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was 80, and um, on, the, on, the, on the Glastonbury Festival, he uh, he closed the show on the Saturday night, and he, he was on stage for like two hours, 20 minutes. Um, he had Dave Grohl come join with him, and, and Bruce Springsteen joined the show, it was, and it, it was the best thing on. It was a four-day festival, but he, that was the best the best thing on. And it's just, it, it is amazing, you know, at 80 years old, and the amount of instruments that he played, his voice faltered a little bit here and there, but wow, he, he was just phenomenal. At age 80 or 81, don't you think he's allowed to have a little fault here and there with yeah. his voice, for heaven's <laughs> sake? Oh. Absolutely. Um, I want to get on to ELO, but before I do that, Carmine Apathy told me, he said, <laughs> if you want to get a job playing for... Ozzy Osbourne, I strongly suggest you get to know his wife because it's his wife that does the hiring and the firing. Will you say right <laughs> on to that? Well, I, I, I've, I've known Sharon since, you know, she was, uh, we were managed in the move days and, and early ELO days by Don Arden. And his daughter was Sharon Arden, who went on to become Sharon Osbourne. So I've known Sharon a long, long, long time. I've seen her in a few years now, uh, but I uh, but she she's a powerhouse, and she's a very smart lady. I heard she had something to do with that that spaceship motif on your ELO tour. Is that correct? Yeah, she um, she was very involved in in everything, and um, I think the 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 album design um, she was involved in, and very much the, the spaceship stage design. They, they were a good team. You know, her dad was a hard man, a real gangster, really. Mm. He, um, but Sharon was 
very, very bright girl, and and she's gone on to become a, well, a superstar, really. Well, she's all over American TV, if you didn't already know that. Yeah, yeah. well, she's, she's, she occasionally gets on British TV, too, but, and of course, the, the you know, the uh, the Osbournes, the show, that that was so, such a funny show, with her, her and uh, Rosie. Uh, they're <laughs> yeah. they're a great, just a great couple, you know, they're just a comedy team, really, they're just brilliant. Yeah, very, that defined a lot of what we now refer to over here as reality TV. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Because basically yeah, the Osbournes <laughs> was nothing more than a camera following Ozzy and Sharon and the daughter and son around their home. Yeah, yeah. And all and, and all the disasters that went along with it. Yeah, it yeah. was Very much so. Okay, I want to move on to ELO because most people, Bev, are going to know that ELO was, it broke the mold of what rock was. And I believe that it had to have something to do with the love of the Beatles between yourself, Jeff Lynne, and Roy Wood. Because what made ELO unique and what people think of with ELO are the strings and you had you had trouble in the old days quote unquote playing live gigs on stage where the guitar the bass the drums the keyboards everybody heard them they're amplified but you could not get your strings amplified until this miracle invention happened. Why don't you tell everybody about those days? Yeah, well, the, you know, the original ELO lineup, uh, Roy Wood wasn't in it for long. Yeah, you know, we did one, we did one, one British tour, and we did uh, some dates in Europe, uh, and then. Uh, but it was not. We could not hear the, the violin. We could not hear the, the cellos. Uh, and I think Roy, he gave up. I think really, and he he left the band uh, and he formed a new band called Wizard which was a very big band in in Britain and Europe Um, but Jeff and I kind of reformed you know cut it down to seven piece and we had two cellos and a violin all really good players Um, and then we came across these things called uh, Barkus Berry pickups uh, which which just slotted onto the the violin and, and the cellos and and you know wow uh, voila you know there is suddenly you could hear the cellos and and the violin even when they were jumping around the stage which they did a lot and we started touring and we concentrated on America we we toured America a lot we were bigger in America than our, our homeland of Britain you know our first and we had a, a big hit with the El Dorado album it was a, a, our first gold album can't get it out of my head was our first uh, top 10 single. Those records were not hit here in, in, in Europe. So, uh, and people came to see us in America. I don't know they've seen anything quite like it before. Uh, and we, we, you know, we just got bigger and bigger really throughout the 70s, and it was um, a great ride. Absolutely. I was listening to Don't Bring Me Down which I've been listening to for years. That's nothing new. But I graduated high school with a kid named Bruce, and I've known another Bruce since then, and I would hear the band sing, Don't Bring Me Down, Bruce! (laughs) And I thought they were saying Bruce, and I couldn't understand why Jeff Lynn or whoever's singing the lead on that would be talking about a guy named Bruce because it's noticeable. Don't bring me down, Bruce. 
And it's not Bruce at all. It's G-R-O-O-S. Groose. Now, where, if you don't mind my saying this, Beth, where in the hell did they get Groose from? <laughs> it does not exist. It's not a word. Well, it, it is a word in, in German, and Groose. And we, we recorded nearly all the ELO albums in Munich, in Germany, uh, with a, a German engineer, a guy called Max. Reinhold Mack, who was a brilliant engineer, and he went on to produce Queen. That's how good he was. And I think Jeff was looking for, for a word, you know, to go with after Don't Bring Me Down. And Groose, uh, uh, I think it loosely translates to like greetings in German. And it, it just, it's just a, a fun word. But that, but you're right. Most, of, most, most people think it was Bruce. And <laughs> yes. It, you know, it, it wasn't. An uh, evil woman. Boy, there was a good song you did, too. Evil Woman, Strange yeah. Magic. Yeah. My God, did you have the songs. And the uh, let's go back to the, the, the idea of a rock and roll band that had strings in it. You solved the volume problem with those pickups that you learned about. Where were you physically when you first heard the band with the strings properly mixed in the mix so that you could finally hear them? Were you in a studio? Were you live? When? What was the first time you heard ELO when you said, wow, I have never heard the strings mixed with the rest of the instruments like that? Well, it's hard to... Uh, it was almost certainly America. It would, would have been one of our first American tours. Uh, we used to open for... You know, we, we weren't that well-known when we first went to the state. So, um, but, but, yeah, we, we started to get good reviews, and I think it was because uh, we were so different, and we were opening for established acts. You know, we had, um, I think Joe Walsh, we worked with uh, Elvin Bishop Band, and Early Journey, we worked with a lot. And it was those, it was those days, and... and uh, once we knew, once we were confident that we could go on stage and that the, the cellists and the, and the violin player could be heard, uh, then we got more and more confident. And I think the big, uh, big breakthrough came, I think it was 74, when we were like special guests on Coast to Coast, I don't know, 50, 60 day Deep Purple Tour of America. Ronnie James Dio's band, Elf, opened the, opened the tour. And then we went on as ELO. And we experienced for the first time ever playing big arenas. Um, and then Deep Purple closed the show. And they, were, they, were, they were great. Um, but then when it was our turn to, to play the arenas, like the following year, I think on the back of probably face the music album we, you know we were confident we, we knew we could we could play these big arenas uh with this seven piece band and we knew that we got good sound guys and we knew that we would get the good mix and, and we, we just went down incredibly well with american audiences they loved us you were regulars i'm gonna call you regulars i don't know if the tv network did but you were regulars as far as I'm concerned, because I saw you multiple times on a TV show that had live music on it, and it was called Midnight Special, and the theme song was sung by Johnny Rivers, a singer over here that had a hit record called Midnight Special. Bert Sugarman, mm -hmm. I believe, was the producer. Do you recall that? And how did ELO get to be, I think ELO, 
appeared on that show more than anyone. Yeah, I remember being on it. I remember us, I remember us doing it. Eventually, we kind of headlined it, and it's like our show. And I remember having one of our special guests was Linda Ronstadt, who's I'm a huge fan of Linda's. And anyway, so it was great having her on the show. It was a terrific show. Uh, there's never been anything like that. In, in England. I, I wish I could wish I'd do reruns. It was a fabulous show. Absolutely. And every time, why is it that, that any time on TV that they wanted to talk with the band, you became the on-air PR man. You you were this, you know how Elton John sings, L.A. lady, blue jean baby, seamstress for the band on that tiny dancer. Well, you were not the seamstress for the band, but you were the spokesman for the band. How did, did Bev Bevan get to be the spokesman for Electric Light Orchestra? Well, because, because I, I think because Jeff, want, want, you know, Jeff didn't want to do, I did a lot of the, I did a whole interview tours of America. I go and around all the radio stations, um, and I and I said, on, on, even on live shows, I, I always had you know got on the mic and spoke to the audience. I kind of enjoyed. Well, I did enjoy doing that, and, and Jeff didn't want to do it, so I was I was the the co-founder of the band at that time. Was where would have gone. So it was down to me, really. If Jeff didn't want to do it, I I, I stood up to the plate and said, okay, I'll do it. Uh, and it, Jeff was happy with that situation and and so was i but uh it, it is unusual because it and sometimes on it uh you know i've done lots of interviews i've, I've done a mass of interviews this year because my band quill have got a new album out called riding rainbows and i've been doing interviews promoting that album and inevitably elo comes up into the conversation and people ask me questions as you were doing and sometimes you know they'll ask a specific question about jeff's songs and you know, something like you just said about, you know, Groose. And and really, I don't know. And I, 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 I sometimes struggle to know the answers to some of these questions. And they should be directed at Jeff. So uh, I, I just do the best I can to, to answer those. Do you know what McCartney said? He said, there are people who know my background in history much better than I. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you, you, you know, you, you, you've, you've got a good knowledge of mine, so yeah. <laughs> there. You, I, I only have one Bev Bevan to study. You have millions of people who, you, you, for God's sake, you sold 50 million albums, Bev. 50 million at least know ELO and love you. You're not going to put the thoughts of all those people in your mind and in those people's individuals' mind. There's only one of you, see. At my age now, I'm in my seventies, and I'm, I'm still. I think I've just done a, a British tour. I finished it only a couple of weeks ago. Thirty-two date tour of Britain uh, with the Bev Bevan Band uh, in, in a show called Stand Up and Rock. And and I feel that I'm playing as as you know as well, maybe even better than I've ever played before. And to be saying that in my seventies is remarkable. And I, I am so grateful. Um, so many, uh, so many great drummers, friends of mine uh, who are no, no longer with us. Um, John Bonham was a, a great friend of mine. Um, Cozy Powell, uh, I knew, I knew very well. We recently lost Charlie Watts. You know, the, uh, I'm, hey, I'm just, <laughs> I'm glad I'm still here doing it. You knew Keith you. Moon, I know. 
Yeah, yeah. Mooning as well. He's been gone a long time. Wow. He, he was a lunatic, but he was a, a, a very lovable lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. Oh, my. You're touring a little bit. I don't think nationally, uh, unless th- throughout England, with the group Quill. That's You've been working with yeah. them. Your new album, you just mentioned it. What is that again? Something about the rainbow? Yeah, Riding Rainbows. Riding called. Rainbows. Um, How does somebody get that album if they want to hear it? Bev, tell them. Yeah, well, if you visit, if you visit, um, if you go to www.quilluk.com, uh, www.quilluk.com, uh, or it'll all come up, it'll all the details will come up. It, I, I'm, I'm so proud of this album, I just love it. I co wrote um, the lyric with, with my partner, my fiance, Joy, who's the lead singer in Quill, and the tunes were written by our guitarist, Lee, Lee T. Evans, who is excellent. And if you and I've, and I've just got a, a, uh, a new website, uh, and again, it'll all come up on that, which is Bev Bevan official.com bevbevanofficial.com and it, it's a fun website and it, go, it goes way back like we've, like we've been doing it goes way back to Denny Lane and The Move and ELO and ELO Part 2 and Black Sabbath um, uh, other things I've done working with people like uh, Paul Weller so yeah it's all there if there's one thing I absolutely adore about you Bev is the fact that not only did you have a career as the musician, Bev Bevan, with one of the greatest and one of the most unique rock and roll bands in the world, the Electric Light Orchestra, but much like Susie Quattro, who's, who was with us for our Christmas party this past year. She, with her career and everything she's done, including television and all this, she was a, a semi-regular on a program over here called Happy Days. She played a character I named... Remember. Yeah, she played Leather Tuscadero. And the reason she, <laughs> Yes, she got the part because the executive producer of that Happy Days program, which was a, a hit over here indeed, he went home one day in real life and his teenage daughter had the the poster of Susie Quattro in this leather outfit on the daughter's wall. He said, that is the girl I want for this leather Tuscadero part that we're going to have on the show. And they got a hold of her. And then that, that's how they happen. But the reason I bring it up, Bev, is because with her career and everything she's done, you have you share something in common with her. Both of you went on to literally become DJs on the BBC. So it, are you still on radio now, Bev? And if so, what are you doing on the air? No, I... Uh... I think during the the COVID whole episode, which we haven't talked about, but you know, it, it, those, the last two years has been so difficult, and I wasn't able to go into the studio to, to do my show like I always did, and it, and it just fell apart. Really, it might, it might come back. I I like doing radio, and I, I, I was always given I could, I could always play whatever I wanted to play. So it was like a two-hour show, of me playing my my kind of music. So it was it was just fun, and I I'm, I, I that's what I love doing. So. But, I hope to do it again one day. It, it was, uh, and Susie, I know, uh, uh, I nearly joined Susie's band once, and she's a lovely girl. She's great fun. She's still very successful, and she's, I think, she's currently on to like a 35th tour of Australia. I mean, she's, 
she's such a hardworking woman. Absolutely. Now, you somehow, somebody told me this, that you had done uh, voiceovers. You were a voiceover artist at one time. Well, what I did do is I, I narrated Tony Iommi's book, Iron Man, which is a great book. He, you know, his, his, his life story. And he, they wanted me to do it. And, I, and it was such fun to do because he let me do all kind of different accents and stuff. Um, and if you if you if you if you want to try and get it, it's it, it's a good listen. Either read the book Iron Man, or um or get get the talking version of me me re- reading the book for you. Very very well. And where can they get that? Can they come to your website, or is there a different place that they need to go for that? Yeah, I'll make sure it's on my website so people can check it out. Yeah, but I think if you if you if you just log in Iron Man Tony Iommi, um, you, uh, the the book will come up, and I think so will the the way to um get it um. Uh, online with me talking. Yeah. Okay. And before I let you go, Bev, man, there's so much that I wanted to ask you. I've waited years for this. You toured with Jimi Hendrix. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And did you yeah, know the did. lad or did you just hello and goodbye the lad? No, we, we, we it was a long tour. And, um, uh, so I got to know all Jimi Hendrix experience. So, and Jimmy was a real gentleman. He was, he was a, you know, I know he was a wild man on stage and he was a fantastic, unique guitar player. But off stage, he was such a polite man. And, and Mitt was a fine drummer, very jazzy, very different to me. Um, and Noel Redding was, was, they were a great little trio. And I really enjoyed that tour with them. And again, uh, I don't keep saying this, but there's a, you know, they, they, they all left left this mortal coil a long time ago and um but they left their mark they were a fabulous little band absolutely is it fair to say that the song strawberry fields by the beatles is what was the impetus if you will to establish the string sound and perfect it live in concert because the Beatles would never perform that song live. Did that help with ELO's image? The fact that you heard the Beatles have strings in rock and roll and you said, why can't we do that live? Yeah, well, they never had the chance to do it, did they, the Beatles? I mean, they when they were touring, it, it was impossible. They just didn't, you know, they couldn't even hear themselves alone think about it. But, they, but then they concentrated, because they weren't touring, they spent so much time in the studio. And we, we must never forget the um, the importance of George Martin here as well. I mean, wow, his, his orchestral arrangements are just magical. And I was a massive fan. Uh, Jeff Lynne was a massive fan, so was Roy Wood. And I'm sure it was influential. I hear his son is now a producer, and I know practically nothing about him. Lou Clark, you know, was a wonderful orchestral arranger for ELO, uh, and he sadly died just over a year ago. But but his son, uh, Lou Clark Jr., he's he's taken over. He's followed in his footsteps, and he's become a great um, string arranger. And and the key, um, on on the the Quill album, Riding Rainbows, uh, we have we have strings on on three of the track, and Lou Clark Jr. has done a wonderful job in putting those together. Can you tell me about appearing on the television program that everybody in the USA is going to know because of what we used to call over here America's oldest teenager? Because the man would not age. 
He looked great as an old man, just like he did when he was young. He did not have that that enemy of age. He always looked young, and his name was Dick Clark. And he hosted a TV show nationally called American Bandstand. And ELO, mm-hmm. with yourself, you appeared on there. Can you tell me about that briefly? I think was, that was early days. And, I mean, he, he, he's not really well-known, Dick Clark, in this country. But, of course, in America, he's an, you know, a superstar. And you're right. Um, what a good-looking man. He just does, does not age. And and that yeah that was um that was a, a legendary show absolutely well Bev Bevan what can I say it's um it's my hundredth show we wanted to do something special and when I got word that Bev Bevan was going to come on and celebrate this day with me I I damn near had tears coming out of my eyes. I want to thank you (laughs) from the bottom of my heart. ELO, I don't care what anybody says. It is difficult not to like ELO. I listened to the song, the records like Showdown, Sweet Talking Woman, Evil Woman, I've always loved, Strange Magic, I've always loved, on and on and on. I just, it was, it was a... A great time in music, and I believe that Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood, they are the two, is it fair to say, that got together and said, let's try this strings thing on a rock and roll band. Or were you in there and did you give your two cents worth? Or did they put the string idea in your head and you said, I'm in, just count me in, I'll count me in, but it was predominantly Wood and Lynn that wanted to give it a go and see if they could perfect that style. Yeah, I'll give them. It definitely was. It was their idea, and I'm, I'm glad they asked me along. I was delighted to be part of it. Uh, it's a shame that it didn't really work out for Roy, because maybe he didn't give it long enough, but um, it, 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 it originally it, it was Roy Wood and Jeff Lynn's idea and uh, to, to create the music for this newly invented electric light orchestra but I say Roy didn't last very long so it would have been interesting to see how it had gone if, if they'd have stayed together but Jeff took over the mantle and um, and, and, and did it brilliantly so yeah I'm, I'm glad I was there absolutely as you look back upon your career Bev with 50 million albums sold do you just thank whatever it is some people would have a religious belief say thank you for my life here on earth uh, thank you do you look back and you say to yourself let me put it to you this way do you look back and say wow what what a life i've had what a ride it could have turned out a lot differently for me and instead it turned out this way you don't feel that life dealt you a bad set of cards do you no i don't (laughs) and i think and um uh, uh, and as the older you get, and particularly the the bad times that we've been going through with this wretched COVID, I, I think it makes you uh, realise that. Um, I, I'm, I'm much. I'm thankful now. You know, I, I'm 
I've become a, a, a cup half full person rather than cup half empty. And I, 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 I pack my lucky stars that I've earned uh, what a, uh, a long and successful career I've had and the fact that it's still going on. Um, thank you, God. Yeah. Boy, amen to that. Ladies and gentlemen, my hat is off to one of the greatest drummers in rock and roll, the legendary Bev Bevan, who played and formed as a founding member, Electric Light Orchestra, E-L-O. The website, www.bevbevan, B-E-V-A-N, official. Dot com Bev Bevan official.com that's his website he also has his band quill q u i l l www.quilluk.com you can go to either one of those two websites i'd recommend the bev bevan official and check out quill as well you can get the quill album you can read the history and a bunch of interesting things on the bev bevan official website before we get out of here one thing i like to ask bev for the benefit of the youth the young drummers be they men, be they women, be they people who have said, I'm young, they tell me in school I'm a good drummer. What advice do you give to the youth if they want to try to emulate the life that you've had? Because it's like playing professional sports. Only so many are going to make the team. But what pep talk can you give the youth before we say goodnight? Well, I, it, I think times have changed so much since I started playing. I was very, very fortunate that when I started playing in my first band, like with Denny Lane, there were so many venues to play, hundreds of venues. We could play almost every night. And I think that, that's very difficult to do now, especially with what we've been through with COVID. But just get out there, enjoy, play, play your best, and get, get together with a bunch of people that you like if possible and, and just get a groove going and get out there and hope that things will turn out well and that you'll you'll, you'll if you can make it I, I, the thing i'm so grateful for is that i've from leaving school until now i have music has been my whole life and i'm so fortunate that i've managed to to go through a whole life with as a professional musician it's been it's been a wonderful experience that is absolutely remarkable thank you a million and one times Bev Bevan, and may you have nothing but the greatest times here in life. Not to say that you haven't had some good ones up to this point. I don't know how you can reduplicate what it is you've done, but let's just say keep up the good work. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Uh, it's it's a phenomenal career and a great, great band, and uh, I just wish you nothing but the finest, sir. I'm proud to be in your, on your 100th show, and uh, congratulations on your century. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun, but I've got to run. It's Rick Flynn. Thank you to the founder, to the drummer of ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra, Bev Bevan, for being our guest on this milestone 100th show. We appreciate everyone throughout the world listening. Thank you all, and have a great night. Good night, everyone. Yeah, good night, everyone, and uh, thanks again, Rick, and congratulations.
The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.